Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. everybody it is time for the silver bullets podcast i'm michael citro and i'm chip minnick chip the buckeyes have improved to six and oh since you and i last spoke on this here podcast by virtue of a 41-7 beatdown of purdue in west lafayette indiana and uh there was no purdue harbor this time out it was uh pretty handily taken care of by the Buckeyes on Saturday. Still no Travion Henderson. There was no Emeka Ibuka for this one and some more losses in this game as Chip Tranum got hurt and Denzel Burke got hurt. Uh, but the Buckeyes did manage to pull off uh, a pretty comfortable win uh, over the Purdue Boilermakers. And, uh, you know, we all got to relax in the second half of a game for a while. Precisely. And I would say in light of the fact that, as you mentioned, the the injuries and people being withheld from the game like Travion Henderson for precautionary reasons, at, this is the kind of game that after the frustration of winning by 20 points against Maryland at home, going on the road, and yes, Purdue is kind of you know having a, a challenging season. This is the kind of game that as an Ohio State fan, I look back at that result against Purdue 41-7 and think, yeah, this is this is exactly the kind of game 
Ohio State needed for positive momentum going into a very big game against Penn State. Yeah, and it's honestly the kind of score you would normally expect Ohio State to playing a team the way that Purdue has been this year. You would normally expect that kind of an outcome, and we've expected it in the past and not seen it. Oh, exactly. And that, you know, all of the frustration of the early season, lackluster wins, let's face it, you know, against Indiana and against Youngstown State and that had the fans grumbling. And yeah, there there are some things that are concerning about the, uh, even with a 41-7 win that, yeah, you know, there are things that need to be improved upon. But as I said a moment ago, I think I would take this as, all right, you know that you have the potential of playing as well as you have, as, as your fans have expected you to, and you did it on the road in less than ideal weather condition, conditions. Let's face it. I mean, it's, it's that time of year where you have to be prepared for rainy and windy type weather in Ohio State. Like I said, they, they did what they needed to do. They did. And uh, let's check back at our predictions. Uh, you had a 38-17 Buckeye win, uh, not too far off. And I had a 45-13 Buckeye win. So I was a little closer on both ends. So yay me, I get the, I get the victory this week. There you go. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'm going to take my victory lap now. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the Buckeyes uh, didn't really struggle out of the gate this time. The Defensively, a little bit in the early going. There were some yards, but uh, it was a very bend but not break kind of thing. Uh, and then Ohio State settled in and just started uh, scoring on their first couple of drives. Um, when Ohio State got its first possession, it was very much a we got this guy named Marv and he's pretty good at football. So we're just going to give him the ball. And that's kind of what it was early on. It was throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison jr. And he put the Buckeyes ahead six, nothing. I missed PAT from Jaden fielding and the Buckeyes go up six, nothing on a 14 yard pass from Kyle McCord to Marv. Yeah. The, the missed extra point I was, I have to admit was concerning, but as we will talk about in the recap, I think that the the footing and the the weather certainly played a part in it. It certainly did for the Purdue place kicker, that's for sure. Yeah, and it was uh, it wasn't great to see that right off the bat because the weather deteriorated as the game went on. It was actually when Ohio State scored its first touchdown that was the best the weather was all day. Right. Yeah. I mean, it when they when the the announcers were saying that the as as you just mentioned the the weather. Uh, deteriorating the at one point they were saying that the the rain coming down which was kind of alternating at least from the way it appeared kind of raining slash misting but at one point they said that the the wind was blowing the the, the rain sideways it it's one of those things where I think Ohio State adapted pretty well yeah I would say so so six nothing after each team had touched the ball and uh you know Purdue got the ball back and uh, didn't really do much with it. Three and out. Buckeye defense holds up. And the Buckeyes get the ball at uh, in pretty good field position, their own 49, and it doesn't take them long to you know get down the field. And then we see something we haven't seen yet this year, Chip. We see a Devin Brown red zone package. And I'm glad that Ohio State recognized the fact that Devin Brown is worthy of 
being involved in the offense beyond more than just you being Kyle McCord's backup. The fact that they had developed a, a package of plays for him. And in the grand scheme of things, I believe that this was kind of trying to give Penn State something more that they would have to prepare for for this upcoming week. Yeah, it will it will be interesting to see. Is this something that comes out if Ohio State is, you know, first and goal from the six against Penn State? Or was that just something to make them waste a few minutes of their preparation time on? I I, I don't know, but they did use uh, quite a bit of it in this uh, game and to the point where I thought, I think we've seen enough of this. Uh, I, 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 again, I think that, that Devin Brown, the mobility, that's not to imply that Tom McCord can't run. I think Devin Brown is a more mobile quarterback. And I think it just kind of presents some, some challenges. Like you said, I'm not sure how frequently they're going to use it, but I would like to see not only in the red zone, but also on short yardage that the possibility of Devin Brown on quarterback keeps or uh, sneaks that, that, uh, you know, to get those, uh, you know, maybe like if there's like a yard or two to gain uh, anything that will, that will help Ohio state maintain position possession. Yeah. So uh, Devin Brown actually paid off that second drive with a two yard touchdown run and it's 13, nothing Purdue. And then again, Purdue can do nothing with the ball on uh, its next possession and Ohio State gets the ball and starts moving down the field. But the first period comes to an end, and the Buckeyes lead 13-0 after the first quarter. Very impressive start, considering uh, I think the – not that I ever felt that this game was ever in doubt, but considering the history Ohio State had at Purdue, uh, that all of their losses to Purdue have been at ross Stadium, the fact that they were be able, they were able to assert – dominance from the from the onset was was very encouraging yeah um so ohio state uh third drive continues and uh, they get down in the red zone and they put in that devin brown package and this time this is where i went okay we get it you have a new toy ryan day you like this you want to play with it you want to see what it can do but i don't need to see this much of it and uh so he tried to show a Devin Brown pass in this formation and Devin Brown's pass was not good. And it was in a, into a very dangerous area. And thankfully uh, he threw it toward the ground. So Purdue not able to do anything about it. And uh, unfortunately though, on the very next play, he, uh, he runs it. Devin Brown does and loses the ball while going into the end zone. And it is a turnover instead of a touchdown, big swing there. And uh, you know, if you're, Ohio State fan, you're you're going, you know, weird things always happen at Purdue, but let's not have weird things happen at Purdue today. Correct. And I'm sure that Devin Brown got a, a nice talking to from Coach Day because he was pretty animated throughout the game uh, for a wide variety of different reasons. I'm sure ball security is something that will be preached uh, continually to Devin Brown um, and anyone else, because especially, as I said earlier, when when you start to get deeper and deeper into the season, the possibility of bad weather games like this, the ball is going to be slick. Uh, yes, the the Purdue defense, when they, they knocked the ball out of his hands as he was going across the goal line, that's the kind of thing where, yeah, you want to have both hands on the ball, making sure that, that you're maintaining possession. For sure. So... Uh... After the turnover, Purdue three and out again, helped by a sack by JT Tuimolowal. 
And uh, Hudson Card uh, was uh, under siege quite a bit in this game from the Ohio State defensive line. And uh, they had punted it right back. And Ohio State went right down the field again and scored to make it 20 to nothing as Kyle McCord threw to Cade Stover, a four-yard touchdown pass. And, uh, you know, normal service restored in the red zone. And Kyle McCord with the touchdown pass to make it 20 to nothing. I thought that was a very impressive reception by by Cade Stover. That's where I, if I'm not mistaken, I know that we're going to talk about him momentarily in the the second half of the game, but uh, kind of the, the arms extended, reaching out, getting that touchdown. I thought that was an impressive catch. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Uh, and then again, uh, Purdue, another opportunity, and. Um, they did uh, at least this time out pick up a first down, but then uh, the drive stalled and uh, had to give it back. This time, Ohio State was it was their first drive where they didn't take it down the field. It was, um, you know, there was a, a pass to Julian Fleming that didn't go anywhere. A holding penalty on Josh Simmons kind of derailed this drive. Uh, they had to start behind the chains uh, and then um, a couple incomplete passes and then a delay of game penalty and um uh, then they ended up having to punt the football for the first time. And, and you saw a very animated Ryan day on the sideline yell at, uh, he yelled at his running backs coach, uh, because there were some problems getting lined up on that. Uh, he yelled at, uh, Kyle McCord. Uh, he yelled at Josh Simmons. There was a lot of yelling, but, uh, the bottom line, and I don't necessarily blame him for yelling at the, at Josh Simmons for holding, but. I mean, you have timeouts to give, and um, you could avoid that delay of game penalty with a timeout. Certainly. And I recall, speaking of when Ryan Day was animated yelling at Tony Alford, I seem to recall that Xavier Johnson, was, it, did, it looked like he could not figure out where he was supposed to line up mm-hmm. in the backfield. Like he was kind of flip-flopping back and forth, which led to the delay of game, which led to, like you said, Ryan Day yelling at Tony Alford. I want to give credit to Xavier Johnson for the fact that his versatility as both a receiver and a running back, I believe he played running back in high school, that Ohio State, they have, I, I realized that he was he was pressed into duty because of the, the injuries at the running back position. But I think Xavier Johnson is the kind of player that, it would make sense for Ohio State to leverage that that versatility that he has as both a runner and receiver in games going forward. I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the NFL, you see Tyreek Hill lining up in the backfield sometimes. Um, San Francisco runs a lot of uh, wide receivers into the backfield. Um, it, it's be, it's being done around the league. It's been done in other college football towns. Uh, why not get on this bandwagon and and run some of those plays? It's uh, when you have the versatility and you have when you have Johnson in the backfield, you can't sit there and say this is a running play. You can't sit there and say this is a passing play. You don't really know how that's going to go. It could go anyway. But you probably think if Mayan Williams is back there, they're going to run it or he's going to stay in a block. Uh, you don't know what you don't know what Xavier Johnson's going to do. Exactly. Like I said, the versatility is something to be leveraged. Yeah. So uh a lot of yelling by Ryan Day on that, <laughs> uh, play, but that's okay. It's uh, it's passionate. Yes. <laughs> um, 
yeah so you know we just uh, continue on like that and uh, we get to the half and uh, ohio state the a pretty decent lead at the break 20 to nothing and and really it should have been more it should have been i uh, you know i mean we talked about the the missed touchdown let's not forget i mean purdue was was dealing with issues of their own um you know like I, i'm sure uh you know with the the missed field goals that they had like you said ohio state defensively uh was in especially at the onset kind of that bend but don't break kind of thing and then purdue could not capitalize when they would get in scoring position um their offense would bog down and then when they trot out their field goal kicker and he would miss uh you know ohio state i don't want to say that they were lucky to be up 20 to nothing um like you said i think that it, it could have been more obviously that that touchdown that you know, fumbled into the end zone for a touchback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it's certainly the fact that they were that they were holding Purdue scoreless through not only good defense, but also some Purdue miscues and mistakes. Yeah, so the uh game starts the set starts the third quarter, second half comes, and Ohio State uh just piles onto their lead in the third quarter with a couple of touchdowns, don't give up anything else. Uh Dallas Hayden, a one-yard touchdown run, and Cade Stover with a nice 14-yard touchdown reception from Kyle McCord on a, a, a nice play. Uh, a couple of good opportunities for the Buckeyes there. Defensively, you know they, they again, didn't really come out of the gate strong defensively to start the second half, but they, they settled in. Again, they bent but didn't break. And uh, really, it was, it was about Ohio State seeing the game out and managing it from there. And, you know, Chip Tranum, had I think six carries for 28 yards when he went out with his injury, he was doing pretty well, but uh, this was a good reminder that Dallin Hayden is a talented running back. He's a running back with some experience. He's, he's got good quickness, but he's also got some power. Uh, This is a very deep stable of running backs. And we talked about Xavier Johnson, what he brought a little bit of extra to the backfield. But uh, when you have a a Dallas, a Dallin Hayden and even an Evan Pryor, got some uh, carries in this game you've got a lot of depth and they needed every bit of it for this game right I I I realize and I I respect the coaching staff earlier in the week the question was raised I mean you want to talk about how ironic this was that all right what's going on with Dallin Hayden Ryan Day said all right based on the depth that you just mentioned you know considering the fact Travion Henderson Mayan Williams Chip Trianum were ahead of him on the depth chart that they, the coaching staff felt here's an opportunity for us to redshirt Dallin Hayden. Now that may still come to pass. That may, I, as, as we're recording this, it, there's always that possibility in my humble estimation. I think Dallin Hayden is probably the most decisive running back that they have. Like you said, you know, he, he runs with, uh, you know, with power, He's not he's not nearly as fast as Travion Henderson, but he's got good enough speed. If it was me going into the Penn State game, I realize that you know Travion Henderson is is always a home run threat. Uh, but if it was me, I would probably lean towards Chip Traynum uh, based on how his health is, of course, mm-hmm. and Dallin Hayden against Penn State. That is that's just my opinion. Okay, that's that's a valid, uh, valid opinion. So 34 nothing after three quarters, Chip. And uh, at this point, you're just kind of 
you know, relax. You're having some snacks. You want to see what uh, some of these, <laughs> when, is, when are some of these backups going to get into the game and that kind of thing. And uh, eventually that did start to happen. And, uh, but unfortunately, the Buckeyes lost their shutout in the fourth quarter as uh, uh, just a, some, really, it was, again, self-inflicted wounds for Ohio State. It was a, a badly missed block by Josh Fryer, ended up getting Kyle McCord sacked. Uh, it was a strip sack, and um, it was uh, recovered by Yanni Karloftis uh, deep in, or- in uh, Ohio State territory. Uh, they took over at uh, the OSU 20, and uh, they were able to score uh, a touchdown to get on the board. And that that uh, touchdown drive was helped by a, uh, a fourth down conversion allowed on um, what seems to be like the, I don't know, millionth successful slant pattern against the Ohio State defense this year. I've never seen a defense struggle this badly against slant passes. It's obviously the, the safety's deep to prevent the big play, but wh- what is going on with the linebackers? They're not getting to the proper depth. Could be. I, I will say that the linebacking has not the last few games has not been stellar. And I believe Cody Simon actually came in in place of steel chambers because of, I, I, I let's just say, you know, like steel chambers hasn't been playing as well as anticipated. Yeah. And, and Cody Simon's been playing about how Cody Simon has always been playing. So that's why I want to see more Sonny <laughs> Styles and more CJ Hicks. <laughs> right. Well, there was a CJ Hicks sighting mm-hmm. late in the game. Uh, I, all I can say, I'm not saying that, um, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm always of the opinion. Let's, let's see what, what is coming up in, in terms of the ranks is, since we don't have access or the ability to see what's going on within practice is because the concerns are there from Ohio state fans. Like why isn't CJ Hicks playing more? Um, why isn't Sonny styles playing more as, as kind of like that quasi linebacker um, that maybe there are some things happening behind the scenes that we're just not aware of and that we don't have the full picture. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it is always telling. Whenever you see Sonny Styles on the field, he's making a play. I agree with that. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know. Call me crazy. But if you put a guy out there and he keeps making plays, maybe keep putting him out there. Yeah. Well, Sonny Styles <laughs> is going to be Sonny Styles is going to be a star. I think that we'll see against Penn State and we shall see in the coming weeks with some of the other strong running teams that are coming down. Uh, on the on the Ohio State schedule, how Sunny Styles is deployed. Yeah. All right. Well, thirty four seven at that point, Chip, and uh, it was pretty much all over except what the final score was going to be. A couple of uh, possessions later, and uh, Devin Brown went into the game, which was something uh, that needed to probably happen one or two series earlier. But uh, you know, Brown tried to run it on first and second down, and Purdue had the audacity to stop him. So. Uh, just dial up a pass to uh, Brandon Innes that goes 58 yards for a touchdown to make it 41-7. And Brandon Innes is one of these guys who I, I you know, he uh, came in during the summer, you know, so he didn't have the the benefit of you know obviously like the winter conditioning and the, and spring practice. 
but the the hype for Brandon Innes has been there comparable to to Carnell Tate. You know, the fact that these these guys are among the the next next wave of terrific Ohio State wide receivers. Yeah, uh, just kind of like funny coincidence. The very uh, first reception of Brandon Innes's career is a 58-yard touchdown. Um, same thing happened to a, a wide receiver many years ago by the name of David Boston. Same type thing. First, first, first reception was a touchdown. So, if Brandon Innes has a career even remotely close to the caliber of what David Boston had, I think that Ohio State fans will be very happy. Yeah, why not? That would uh, that would definitely be a positive. And and in this game too, Carnell Tate had a really nice game. He's starting to see a little bit more of the field, especially with the Ebuka out, and um, and he played well as well. So those guys, honestly, this used to be under Urban Meyer. This used to be an offense that they prided themselves on going six deep with the wide receivers. They haven't done that under Ryan Day. They've stuck with their main guys, which is fine. When you got Alave and Garrett Wilson. Uh, you got Jackson Smith and Jigbo when you got, um, you know, Marvin Harrison and Mika Buka. It makes sense. But I mean, don't sell these kids coming up behind them short because they can play now. They can. And I agree with you when you say about under Ryan Day, from what I, everything that I have read and, and understand is that Brian Hartline, as the wide receivers coach, his mindset is I'm going to play the three best. And in his estimation, obviously that's Marvin Harrison Jr., um, Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming. And I realize I, I completely agree with you. You want you want to get these guys more involved in uh in to game action. Um Carnell Tate, you you mentioned he had he had a really nice game. What I really liked, and this is maybe this is just me, is on he had that lengthy 55 yard reception and obviously i was hoping that he was going to go the distance but he quickly realized that the purdue defenders had angles on him he wasn't going to be able to to make it all the way that he had the wisdom to put both arms around the ball and when he was tackled you know it, I, I mentioned it earlier the fact that it it was slick wet rainy conditions the fact that he did not lose the ball i thought that just kind of spoke to his maturity and and i think he's he's got a very bright future i like to call that situational awareness chip there you go <laughs> definitely had it on that yeah uh, tate had a, a nice little game there and and you know i i know brian hartline's not alone in his philosophy uh play your best guys and um you know, give, give them only a rest when they need it or when they ask for it or when they take a big hit or whatever. But I, I just don't know that Julian Fleming's one of the three best. He might not be. Um, I mentioned it a moment ago, not, you know, seeing what's going on behind the scenes in practice. And let's face it. One of the other things that I think is, a, is an underrated aspect of the, uh, the Ohio state wide receivers is, not only, you know, being able to, you know, make explosive plays, you know, as receivers, but also being really good blockers and Julian Fleming in previous games that we've seen, you know, he, he's been a tremendous blocker downfield. So that might be part of the equation that maybe some of the younger guys aren't necessarily up at that level yet. Yeah, that's that's always the thing is that you want to uh, you you're, you're going to get on the field faster if you 
block and are good at it and uh, can sustain your block and not hold and that kind of thing. So that's definitely part of the equation. Uh, so 41-7 is your final. Should have been 42-7. to Actually, it should have been 49-7, to but we'll take it considering some of the things that have happened at Ross-Aid Stadium over the years and, uh, you know, nice and easy. And the only bad thing, obviously, is Chip Tranum gets hurt. And uh, also, I mean, he was seen walking around the sideline. They wouldn't give him his helmet back, so that's smart. And uh, But the bigger issue going into Penn State is the Denzel Burke injury. That is. And to the best of my knowledge, I have not seen what the extent of that injury is. Um, hopefully it's not too severe that it will keep him out of the Penn state game. It, it, it's entirely possible. Um, but like, I completely agree with you. I think that losing Denzel Burke could be a, a major issue, especially against Penn state. Yeah. And this was another game where he showed his dominance. He was uh, very, very good again while he was on the field and a couple of tackles short of the line to gain on third down and, um, uh, you know, defended the pass very well again. So uh, we hope Denzel's issue isn't long-term. Let's take a look at our picks to click chip on the offensive side. You had chip training him and he was definitely on pace to be a, a click six carries 28 yards, but no touchdowns and ends up leaving the game with the injury early that uh, cuts down on his um, attempts and it cuts down on, on his effectiveness. And I, I cannot give him a click for that as you, uh, I'm sure you understand that. And uh, yeah. I took Cade Stover and he had four catches for 53 yards and two touchdowns. I think Cade Stover clicked. He certainly did. I think he was named the offensive player of the game by Ohio state actually. So absolutely. Yeah. Very, very nice game for Cade, not just catching the ball with, I, I think he had a really terrific, day blocking they they spotlighted him a couple of times making some really critical blocks and that's that's kind of been an inconsistent part of his game since he uh, became a tight end it has been and i think that when it comes to Cade stover i mean i think he's still i don't want to say he's still learning the position but i mean considering he was a defensive player predominantly in high school and that's how he came to ohio state i think you know, I think he has tremendous range and potential as a tight end. He just is still trying to put it all together. Yeah. Now on the defensive side of the ball chip, you took Denzel Burke. He made three tackles. He had a pass breakup. And but more importantly, he had uh, for the most part, he locked down his coverage to where they weren't even throwing his side. So I'm giving him a click because I think he played well while he was on the field and he was on the field long enough to earn that. Uh, I took Tommy Eichenberg, and he had eight tackles uh, to tie Cody Simon for the most on the team. He also had a tackle for loss. I'm going to go ahead and take a click for Tommy, although you know, the linebackers, you're right that the linebacker play has not been where we kind of expect it to be or, or want it to be, uh, but it's usually not been Tommy's that's been the issue. It's usually been steel chambers or Cody Simon, whoever else is out there with him. Um, and you know, when you run the type of defense that Ohio state has, you can't just have one guy, both guys got to be pulling their weight. I agree. And the, the game against Penn state is going to be crucial for strong linebacker linebacker play. Like, like you said, from, from both players, regardless of whether it's Tommy Eichenberg and steel chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, and Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg and CJ Hicks, as you would probably like it to be, um, no matter what, it 
Ohio State's going to be needing strong linebacker play for this upcoming game. Very much so. Um, to stop that Penn State running attack and keep them in third and longs, that's uh, it's going to be key. So, uh, obviously not a perfect game. There were three delay-a-game penalties on Ohio State. There were uh, there was a false start. There was an illegal snap. There was a holding penalty I'd already mentioned on Josh Simmons. Um, some penalties on the defensive side as well. Uh, there was a, a pass interference, or not a pass interference, a roughing the passer call on Jack Sawyer on the fourth down play that Ohio State allowed. So even if they had not allowed it, it would have still been a first down. And and I don't know if it was, we can talk about Peacock, I guess, a little bit. The replay of that wasn't very conclusive. We got one look at that play again, and it was from sort of the end. And you could see that Hudson Card threw the ball and Jack Sawyer hit him almost immediately. It wasn't like a one, 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 one thousand, two, one thousand, and then hit. He got rid of the ball and was essentially hit in the, in the follow through of getting rid of the ball. It didn't look to be that high to me. So I don't know why it was being called, but again, we didn't get a, a, a better look at it. So I don't know if maybe he caught him in the, in the chin or something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you got a better look than I did. No, I, I didn't. And I mean, for, I don't know. I just think Jack Sawyer is, has had kind of an inconsistent career at Ohio state. Um, I know he had, you know, a better game against Purdue, but like you said, I mean, it, 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 those kind of, those kind of mental mistakes that can certainly impact Ohio state. If they don't get this, you know, cleaned up, it could really cause some issues as they start to get into, uh, their better opponents on the schedule. Yeah. And Lathan Ransom had a, a pass interference penalty on a fourth down play that he was in great position to make a play and just, I guess, just panicked and grabbed his guy. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyway, uh, anything else we need to discuss about this uh, before we move on? No, I think um, Purdue they're Let's just, let's just say it. They're in rebuilding mode. I mean, they, they lot, they had a big turnover on the, the coaching staff. They're sitting at two and five overall. Uh, more than likely, not going to a bowl game unless they can really, you know, they they've got um, predominantly games within the the Big Ten West. Um, so it's not impossible, but more than likely, Ryan w- Walters, as you know, he's going to have to you know, be recruiting and going into the transfer portal to do whatever he can to to kind of get Purdue back into bowl game contention in twenty twenty four. Yeah, it was nice to see Ohio State's defensive line pushing around Purdue's uh, offensive line a little bit in this game. Yes, it was. Uh, very nice game for Tyleek Williams. Uh, I think he batted two passes down and got a couple tackles for loss. Uh, he really stole the show for me. Yeah, I think Tyleek Williams is finally starting to emerge as probably the the most consistent interior defensive lineman for Ohio State. We even finally saw some Jihad Carter. Yeah, he he. I'm not sure what happened earlier in the in the year. I mean, I I saw him out there. Uh, you know, considering he was projected to be you know a potential starter, haven't seen as much of him. But you, yeah, we did see some of Jihad Carter playing late in the game. It was nice to see. Uh, we talked earlier about some of the backups. Um, Jermaine Matthews, I thought. Um, you know, as a true freshman, had a nice game. Uh, Josh Proctor also got. Excuse me, Josh Proctor. Um, Malik Hartford also got into the game uh, later. 
Yeah. So, I mean, they are trying to, at least on the defensive side, try and get uh, some more of the guys in. Um, the offensive line, you know, there was a Luke Montgomery sighting. Um, he's yeah. definitely got a bright, bright future on the offensive line. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. He had, he had one of the penalties. Yes, <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Uh, Purdue is in the rear view mirror and we are halfway through the season chip. Got to slow it down. Always talk about this. Got to slow it down. Come on, man. <laughs> you're, you're killing me with this being halfway over already. I know. Oh, man. But there's still so many big games left to go. And, of course, we'll be talking about one of them uh, a little later. We'll be giving our picks to click and our score predictions for Ohio State hosting Penn State in uh, a scarlet out, I'm hearing. That sounds that sounds likely. Uh, I know that this is the you know, this is the kind of thing where. Um, it would make sense, especially for, you know, a big nationally televised game on Fox against Penn State. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll uh, we'll talk about that a little later in the program. We'll, of course, take our our usual walk through the other Big Ten results. But before we get to any of that stuff, we've got a guest chip to talk about the Nittany Lions. Why don't we get to him right after this? All right, joining us on the Silver Bullets podcast, we are very happy to welcome back to the program Matt DeBear from the Roar Lions Roar podcast. Matt, welcome back. Great to be back. Uh, good to uh, have the annual get-together. Mike and I are going to talk about uh, the Guardians uh, three deep after we were done recording, but uh, no, great to be with you guys again. Yeah, the Guardians made me sad this year. I mean, <laughs> I've been sad since they changed their name to Guardians, but uh, I didn't like them uh, sending Tito out that way. No, it was a, a disappointing year, but uh, that's like I said, that that's our discussion afterwards. Yeah. All right. Well, let's not bore everybody with that. Let's talk about a couple of unbeaten powerhouses in the Big Ten and uh, going head to head on Saturday in the horseshoe. Penn State and Ohio State. Is Ohio State good? Nobody seems to know. Is Penn State good? Sometimes it looks like it, sometimes not as much. Uh, I'm going to start out by just asking you, what what is your overall impression of the Penn State football team in 2023, uh, both for good and bad? Well, I think they're, I don't know, this sounds like, kind of like a cop-out, I guess, but they're kind of what I thought they would be at this point. Um, you know, they had a couple pseudo tests with, you know, going on the road to Illinois, you know, first road game for a, a first time starting quarterback. They hosted IO with that great defense on the whiteout last month. Um, but I don't know if we really know a whole lot about them, certainly offensively at this point. Um, you know, I think Drew Aller's obviously been kind of the main story nationally, you know, the, the big time recruit from Ohio, big time arm, all the talent in the world. He's been really good from an efficiency standpoint. Um, you know, hasn't turned the ball over. You know, he's kind of done everything they've asked him to do um, by by managing the game. But they haven't really found that explosiveness that um, you know I think is probably holding them back offensively from taking the next step. But um, when I say they're kind of what I what we expected them to be, the defense has really carried them. Um, you know, the offense hasn't been bad by any means, but they've really leaned heavily on. Um, what is statistically by some measures, the best defense in the country. I think they're um, yards per game. I think they're 40 or 45 yards better than number two, Michigan at this point, um, turning the ball over a lot. They're, you know, 
really aggressive. I think what what has really allowed them to be that way is taking care of the ball offensively, getting a lead, putting teams in positions where you know they they are almost forced to be one dimensional, and that really plays to their strengths. You know, super aggressive blitzing. Um, you know, the strength of the team is in the secondary and at edge, and they've really um, you know played into that so far, but. Um, they haven't faced, you know, like, like, like the big three in the big 10, they haven't really faced other than Ohio state's game at Notre Dame. They haven't faced, um, you know, certainly an elite offense by any means. They haven't faced, you know, the, the wide receivers are going to face this week. Um, and I think really the under, the underreported or under talked about part of Ohio state is that defense. They have not faced a defense remotely as good as Ohio state, Iowa, certainly statistically, but, um, you know, Ohio state is, I think everyone's focused on Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison and you know, what, what is missing offensively for Ohio state while ignoring this unbelievably dominant defense. Right. So Matt, something you mentioned just kind of sparked this question for me is that you talked about the defense again, they're only giving up an average of eight points a game. And I, and that factors into the, the, you know, the shutout against Iowa and things like that. And I, Apologize if I mispronounce this young man's name, but I couldn't help but notice in the shellacking that Penn State just gave to UMass, uh, Adisa Isaac. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm pronouncing. Okay, two and a half sacks, uh, three and a half tackles for loss. And the reason I'm bringing that name up, the podcast for our listeners is the Ohio State offensive line has has been somewhat you know challenged this year. I mean, can you kind of give us a, a your scouting report on Adisa Isaac because that might be a name. Ohio State, at least the offensive line, has to be concerned about. Well, it's, it's really a three-headed monster at, at defensive end. He's Isaac at the big game against UMass. Chop Robinson is the name that's gotten a lot of press. The transfer from from Maryland in his second year at Penn State now. Um, potential first-round pick in, in the draft this coming spring. Um, and then there's the former five-star, um, Deny Dennis Sutton, at defensive end. So it's really those three guys. Um, and it's, you know, kind of pick your poison, you know, on any given week, which one is going to kind of have the big game. But that's, like I said, up front, certainly the strength of Penn State's defense. And one of the things that fascinates me going into this weekend is, like you said, that's, you know, a question mark for Ohio State is is certainly at tackle um, on, on offense. Um, but I think the the unknown at this point for Penn State is, they've been able to get ahead in these games and force teams to get in passing situations early and let those guys do what they do best tee off on the quarterback. They haven't really since early in the, the West Virginia game faced a team that is going to not give up on the run early. And that's the million dollar question. You know, is Penn state up front on the defensive line, both with those, those ends, but also at tackle. Are they good enough to, to, um, force teams to abandon the run. Are they good enough to to you know stop runs on first and second down? Get teams in obvious passing situations when it's still a close game. When you're not down two or three scores and you have to throw the ball. Matt, would, what would you say as a as a Penn State fan? What would you say would make you the most nervous in terms of how you expect Ohio State to attack Penn State's defense? Which uh, what aspect of the Ohio State offense? sort of has the most uh, concern for you? Well, I think if if Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are healthy, and it sounded like from Ryan Day's comments after the Purdue game on Saturday that they should be, it sounds like it was almost precautionary to hold those guys back against um, against Purdue. Um, but like I said, can they, can they hold up against the run? 
And um, that's kind of been the question since the Michigan game last year uh, and really the Ohio State game last year. Um, can they hold up against more powerful, more dominant running games? They aren't the biggest in the middle of the line. Um, they're really good at their two outside linebacker positions. They're not bad at the middle, up the middle, but that's that's the soft spot. And like I said, West Virginia kind of exposed a little bit of it early on. That's obviously a month and a half ago now. Um, and then obviously, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is, you know, far and away the best receiver in the country, far and away the best player they've faced as a secondary this year. Um, Cade Stover, I think, can be a mismatch nightmare. Um, they haven't really had to rely on Abdul Carter or Curtis Jacobs. They're two outstanding outside linebackers in coverage. Those guys are great, um, especially Carter, again, you know, rushing the passer, being aggressive, um, asking them to play coverage. Um, what's going to be interesting, Cade Stover's, you know, like I said, a mismatch nightmare that um, they really haven't seen, um, you know, to some degree versus Iowa with uh, Eric All, but um, again, that game got out of hand so fast the way it did that it's hard to read a whole lot into it. Um, but just, you know, the, the I think the running game is really going to be like the key for Penn State defensively and probably for Ohio State offensively. We know Ohio State can throw the ball. They've got, you know, un- unbelievable pass catchers. Kyle McCord has improved every week from what I've seen. Um, but can Penn State force them to have to rely on the pass, which is what they defensively want to want whoever they're playing to do? So I'm going to take this kind of in a little different direction. And that is, I think field position is obviously going to be a premium and another sore spot for Ohio state fans. I'm not trying to be the voice of doom, but uh, special teams for Ohio state have not necessarily been spectacular and can't help but notice uh, Daquan Henry or excuse me, Daquan Hardy, two punt returns for touchdowns against UMass. Yeah, and giving credit to the fact that you know that it, that uh, you know, it was UMass, but you know what did what is your appraisal of Penn State's special teams in comparison to like you know I guess what you have seen so far this this season? Well, it's funny Hardy hadn't returned a punt since high school before Saturday against UMass. Um, actually, the Westerville South alum Caden Saunders had been their primary punt returner. He hadn't been bad. He had one muff. Um, I want to say it was in the Iowa game potentially. Um, but just hadn't really gotten a whole lot of production other than taking care of the ball from him. And so Hardy got a chance this past weekend and, and no pun intended ran with it um, with the, with the two punt returns, the first guy in school history to do that. Um, they've been fine. Special teams wise. Um, they had the kit, the field goal kicking issue against West Virginia with um, Sandra Sahedek, who's a, a sophomore. They brought in a transfer over the summer, Alex Falcons from, I believe, um, Columbia, Cornell, one of the Ivy League schools with a C. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been fine. The, the field goal kicking, the extra points have, have been perfectly fine. They've, um, you know, like everyone seems to do anymore, the, the kickoffs are, are touchbacks, you know, by and large. Punting is a little bit of a an unknown. They, um, again, have a, a pretty highly touted um, sophomore, but they brought a transfer in this past summer who won the job. And he's been fine. Um, not, you know, overly dominant, you know, not, you know, that doesn't have the big leg, isn't, you know, isn't especially um, outstanding by any means, but he's solid. Um, and I, I will admit, I have not watched Ohio State closely enough to really say, you know, from a, from a return coverage perspective, they haven't really done a whole lot that would make me too concerned or too optimistic one way or another. It's just kind of been a third phase of the game. And again, when you're, when you're winning games, 
the way they have against the competition they have, it's kind of one of those things that unless it really sticks out, you don't really think a whole lot about. So I, I'm sure they're going to be tested. Obviously, Ohio State's going to have better skill back there returning kicks. Um, I think, you know, punt coverage is probably the one thing that um, would really be um, probably something to watch, at least going into the game, depending on on how that ultimately plays out. So, Matt, when you look at this Ohio State defense, and, and you mentioned they're a little unsung this year, I think you're right to, to some extent. There's um, There's been some some pretty good play by this defense, but again, there's, there's questions about the level of the competition. Do you, do you expect that the offensive line will be able to hold up against a four man rush? That's what Ohio state likes to do. They don't like to send extra guys. They will occasionally send uh, Tommy Eichenberg or, uh, or steel chambers um, on, uh, on passing downs, but they typically like to get forward with four and drop everybody else into coverage. They like to keep their safeties deep and not get beat over the top. Uh, are you at all concerned about Penn State's line holding up against the not just the defensive ends who aren't really putting up big numbers, but they are at least getting some pressure? But it's really those guys in the middle, Michael Hall and and Tyleek Williams, that have been the ones that have uh, kind of pushed pockets back into quarterbacks' faces this year. Yeah, I think um, that's a that's a perfectly reasonable, I think, segue into what my thoughts on the offensive line are. Um, Penn State's, I think, really certainly really good at left tackle. Olufashanu's, you know, a future top five draft pick, um, has done done nothing through six games this year to to make you question that. Um, Caden Wallace at the right tackle spot has been solid. Um, certainly improved from previous seasons. Um, and Hunter Norris at its center has been really really good. Um, from a running perspective, they love to pull him, which obviously is a pretty unique thing to see from a center. The question mark has kind of arisen at guard. They lost um, a former uh, top 50 recruit, Landon Tangwell, before the season. Uh, was forced to medically retire due to um, concussion issues. Um, so they're already down one one guard there. Um, they lost J.B. Nelson early on in the Northwestern game, missed the UMass game last weekend. Um, all we know is he's not out for the year, which is kind of the only injury update you'll ever get from, from James Franklin. Um, didn't play against UMass. Um, so they're, they're down to... What's probably two, three, three, four in terms of their guard depth chart with Sal Warmly and uh, Vegaione, um, who've kind of they've kind of been moving guys around. Um, they've moved Wallace from right tackle inside and put Drew Shelton at right tackle to try and kind of figure out um, what that best combination is. But I think that's a, a, a certainly some, an area worth watching. Like you said, that's Ohio State's strength on the defensive line is certainly up the middle. And then that's where Penn State probably has the biggest question marks. Um, they've generally, and again, you can you know nitpick all this all you want, but I think they've generally held up pretty well against you know four man rushes. It's when um, you know they faced uh, UMass this past weekend, who runs a little bit of a three three five kind of look. And so when they get pressure kind of from unexpected spots or um, you know get a little exotic with with how teams rush the pass or, or attack the run, that's when they've kind of been exposed a little bit, in my opinion. Um, but you know, again, they haven't, they have not faced anything remotely like the talent level they're going to face this week. And I think that interior is really something to watch, um, both from a running, uh, run game and pass game perspective. So Matt, something that you have mentioned, okay. About Penn state has not yet faced the kind of caliber of team that Ohio state has. And considering that drew Aller is an Ohio guy, this is, and with, you know, like the, the his future is very bright and promising. The fact that this is kind of like a little homecoming for him. 
Do you anticipate the the game plan is going to be all right, Drew? Just let's let's just kind of manage the game. Let's not you know worry about you you know trying to you know do too much. Like that they're going to try to rely on that running game with with you know Singleton and Allen and and try and make it as as you know basically as I don't want to say easy as possible for Drew Aller, but maybe uh, you know not relying on Drew Aller to necessarily win the game for Penn State. I think that's their hope, and that's kind of been their their game plan from day one this year is um, not ask Aller to do too much. He's certainly capable of it. He has the talent, but um, I mentioned it earlier. One of the the knocks or one of the concerns through six games has been this, that lack of explosiveness, especially in the passing game, um, given the arm talent they've got at quarterback. And they, they actually opened it up more against UMass. They didn't hit any plays, but they showed more of a downfield passing game than they really had shown arguably all season. Um, but what they've kind of done is um, hammered home with Aller that that take what's there. And I think given what you said earlier about how Ohio State has really modified and, and, and revolutionized their defense to just, you know, not necessarily be that that super aggressive, you know, the, the silver bullets of, of days gone by, you know, uh, you know, attacking the quarterback, being super aggressive, you know, we're, we're going to avoid the big play. We're going to make you have to go 12, 15 plays to down the field to beat us. Cause we're going to bank on you not being able to do that more often than not. Um, kind of lends itself to, I think what, what Penn state's practiced and seen through a lot of this, this season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, you know, a couple of new wrinkles, if they, um, you know, I don't want to say they've held anything back, but I, I think because of who Penn state's faced up to this point, they've been able to kind of keep things pretty vanilla from a game plan perspective. You know, again, don't make mistakes. The only way we're going to lose these games is if we make mistakes and turn the ball over, give up good field position, that sort of thing. And I think that again, lends itself to what they're going to see defensively from Ohio state this weekend. But I think on that same breath, Um, I think we all expect probably a pretty close game, probably pretty low scoring given the way both defenses have played this year. Um, I think it probably comes down to whatever team has, you know, the quarterback does make a play or two. That's just the nature of the game anymore. Um, You know, someone needs to make a play and um, you know, yes, you have Marvin Harrison outside, you know, Penn state has Keandre Lambert Smith or or Trey Wallace, but you still got to get the ball to them. And I think whoever is able to hit a couple of those big plays, um, will will probably be the team that comes out on in front on Saturday. So speaking of quarterbacks making plays, Matt, what do you make of Ohio State rolling out the Devin Brown red zone package <laughs> at Purdue? And and on a scale of one to ten, how afraid is James Franklin of that package? Well, I, I will say I I did not catch much of the Ohio State Purdue game given uh it's it's exclusive airing on on Peacock. Uh, I did not find myself flipping over to the streaming side of things very often on Saturday, um, but I did happen to um, you know look up at one point immediately after the fumble on the Devin Brown red zone package. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's one more thing. I I part of me you put putting on, putting me on the spot here. Part of me wonders if it's one of those things you put on tape just to you know, occupy a little bit of time for James Franklin and Manny Diaz in preparation for that game. And you probably don't, maybe don't see a whole lot of it. Part of me thinks that with Williams and Henderson out, you know, if they wanted to, you know, they, they needed something like that in that situation, just because of, you know, the running back situation, maybe, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm not terribly worried about it. I'm, I'm curious to see 
how much more Ohio State runs it out. Because obviously, after you fumbled the ball on the the two or three yard line, like they did um, against Purdue, you get away with it against you know the Ohio States or the Penn States and Michigans of the world, maybe not so much. So you talked about the lack of explosive, you know, offensive plays, but a guy that I think Ohio State fans, if I was on the on the defensive side of the ball, would be concerned about. Uh, for Penn State is tight end Theo Johnson. Uh, you know, he's listed at 6'6, 264. So he's I I correct me if I'm wrong, isn't he the, the second leading receiver for Penn State? I would have to go and look. He they've really used both tight ends. And and I mentioned two receivers, Lambert Smith and Trey Wallace. Um Wallace as as uh UMass on Saturday was his first game really since UMass or since uh, West Virginia, I should say. Um, got banged up in uh, their second game of the year against, um, I believe that was the Delaware game. I can't remember what happened five minutes ago, let alone five weeks ago. Um, but with him out, they've really struggled. They don't really have a great third receiving option at wide receiver, which has led them to turn towards a really good tight end room. You mentioned Theo Johnson, who's probably the more um, athletic um, kind of receiving type of tight end. They've got another guy, Tyler Warren, who, kind of one of those guys is all he does all he does is catch touchdowns um they lost brenton strange uh, to the nfl after last year and i think um you know candidly that's one of the things that's hurt the running game a little bit from that explosive perspective strange was a really effective blocker they've lost a little bit there um but from a, a passing game perspective they really have like i said turned to johnson and warren as kind of a third receiving option because they don't really have a great third wide receiver that's really stepped up and grabbed that spot um um, but Johnson is kind of in that that more Mike Gesicki mold of tight ends. You know, not not a great blocker, not the guy that's going to you know set the edge you know consistently that sort of thing. Um, had a couple of really nice plays against UMass. Got free down the seam once. Um, they like to get him the ball um, in space because he is a little bit more athletic, can you know make the guy miss sort of thing. Um, but like I said, I think the tight end position is really a spot um, for both teams to watch. Um, Penn State, I think, is pretty unique in how they use them, though. It's really um, extensions of the passing game, you know, almost as, as a third wide receiving option. That used to be how everybody used tight ends, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 old enough to remember enough of that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I'm just blanked on the name from uh, the, the great 94 Penn State team. Brady, whose last name I'm forgetting, um, you know, the great tight end back then. Kyle but, Brady. Kyle Brady. Kyle Brady. Thank you very much. I'm I, I'm going to get a, a note or two about that one. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's funny. They they Penn State's recruited the tight end spot really well. Um, they've got another kid, um, a freshman this year, who they're really high on, um, who's in a red shirt. Andy Andrew. Uh, I'm not going to say his last name. Might rap Leia. Um, they've got another kid who's a um, borderline five star recruit out of Massachusetts coming in next year um, at tight end. So they just kind of keep turning out guys at that spot, and it's. Like I said, they they're unique in how they. That's an integral part of the offense. Um, not you know, I think in a lot of ways, like Cade Stover is for Ohio State. Um, they've really um, taken advantage of getting those guys in situations where they can create mismatches. You know, um, those guys are so big and athletic, you get them on a linebacker anymore that it's just you know it's not fair to the the linebacker. You're just not going to keep up with those guys. And I think that is they they use them differently, but they're still both crucial parts of what they want to do offensively. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the um, the Penn State interior offensive line against the interior defensive line of Ohio State. I'm assuming that's going to be where you think this game Saturday will be potentially won or lost. Uh, but we'd like to ask you to put your uh, 
Put your reputation on the line, Matt, and give us a score prediction for Saturday. I've done this enough with you guys where I was ready for this this time. <laughs> um, now, I mentioned earlier, I think this is a low-scoring game. I think, you know, going into the year, you you, you know, it was always you got, you got to score at least 30 to beat Ohio State. I'm not sure that's the case on Saturday. Um, and I've, I've wrestled with this really all summer because I think for – Ohio State had the Notre Dame game, but I think really the Big Ten season for Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan comes down to their games against each other. And I keep finding myself going back to, I feel like, um, and part of this is is a little PTSD on my part probably. I've, I've seen as good or better Penn State teams go into Columbus against um, as good or not as good Ohio State teams and get their, their brakes blown off. I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, really, since James Frank- James Franklin's been at Penn State, they've played Ohio State close, um, both on the road and at home. Um, but I just I I have a hard time seeing this Penn State team with what they've shown at this point going into Columbus and getting a win. I think it's close. I think it's something like 24, 20, 27, 21, something like that. But I I do think um Ohio State probably pulls us out. I think the home field is a, is a huge part of that. Um, but I'm going to go on the on record because, like I said, this is kind of the, the three game season or the, the two game season for these three teams that I, I've always thought Penn State would get Michigan at home. They've always played Michigan at home tough, um, not to get off topic, but two years ago, they, they a much worse Penn State team beat a similarly talented Michigan team, um, played them to three points, had them on the ropes late before a late touchdown. So um I, I I was an eleven and one prediction going into the year. I'm sticking with eleven and one, but I think this is the one on Saturday for Penn State. All right. Well, uh, we do appreciate you coming on, and giving us your expertise on the Nittany Lions. Uh, we are uh, we're perfectly uh, happy if you want to just see if maybe six points would be enough on Saturday. <laughs> um, that'd be fine with us. Uh, that's or you know maybe see if you could just win with like a field goal, just like three. Maybe that would be. We'll see how. We'll see what happens. We'll see if Penn State can can keep Ohio State off the board. I don't, I'm just kidding, but uh, obviously, uh, it's been great to talk to you. It's been uh, it's been a crazy fast first half of the season in the Big Ten. We are we are losing our our football season so fast, and we don't even know it. So we're trying to savor it, but it just keeps uh, ticking away. We do appreciate you, you spending some time with us and, and telling us about the nits and. Uh, and uh, as always, it's been a, a lot of fun talking to you, and we will love to have you back on in the future. I pre- enjoy it every year, and like I said, uh, hit me up. We'll we'll break down uh, the forty man roster here uh, later tonight. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. And we're back, Chip and. Uh, Matt DeBear, always fun to talk to him. I think I forgot to uh, let him say his piece in terms of how do people can find him on uh, on social media, but um, he uh, can be found on Twitter at PSUMatt2005. So if you want to, to know stuff about Penn State, uh, follow Matt. He's got a great sense of humor, and um, also he is a part of Roar Lions Roar, that podcast, so you can uh, check out their stuff if you want to find out how the uh, the Penn State fan uh, is uh, viewing his or her team. Yeah, I, I always enjoy having Matt on because uh, not only very knowledgeable, like you said, great sense of humor, but the, the, I think he, um, I would I would like to believe that maybe Ohio State fans who listen to our podcast uh, would say that, you know, 
we try to, to be as objective as possible. And I think Matt definitely does that when it comes to Penn State. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I and I do hope people think we're <laughs> we are fans of the team, but we do look at it with an objective eye as much as we can because even though we have our our human biases, but because we have to write about the team. So if we write about them, right. we kind of have to be fair. I mean, that's what you want more than anything is you want to be fair. You absolutely want to be fair. All right, Chip, let us take a look through the other Big Ten scores. And there was one in particular that I think uh, stuck out to me. I'm sure it stuck out to you. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, uh, we talked a lot about the Big Ten West. We always do because it's weird and no one seems to want to win it. And uh, we thought maybe this year we kind of had an idea of what would happen. And we have no idea what's going to happen. The, the Big Ten West is going to be a mess again this year, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, that you know, if anything, um, the one the one I think certainty about the Big Ten West, as long as you and I have been doing this, is that there's always tremendous uncertainty. Um, that you know, teams that you think are going to do well sometimes just don't rise up to your level of expectation, and conversely, a team that you didn't see doing well sometimes comes out of nowhere to, to have a really good season. Yeah. So let's start with uh, start with that team up north. Uh, Michigan hosted Indiana. The Hoosiers went down and scored first, and everybody went, ooh. And then they lost 52-7 to because they're Indiana, and that's what Indiana does. Uh, just a, a rear-end kicking. Indiana led 7-0 after the first quarter, but once, once Michigan uh, alarm clocks went off, uh, and they woke up. They uh, they had no trouble with the Hoosiers. No, they didn't. And things are starting to unravel in Bloomington. <laughs> uh, like you said, we're you know halfway through the season. They're two and four. Um, the the fact that they fired Walt Bell as their offensive coordinator, um, you know, I, I think it's just going to be a, a really difficult season for Indiana and Michigan. They're they're beating the teams that they have on the schedule soundly, but I still am of the opinion that they have not really been tested. Uh, speaking of not being tested, Penn state hosted UMass and uh, UMass fell to one and seven after a 63, nothing shellacking at uh, state college. Uh, and um, yeah, happy Valley was not so happy for UMass. No, uh, you know, Congratulations to Penn State with the with the shutout, and now Penn State is six and zero, so technically they are bowl eligible. Um, you know, so, you know, but it's one of these things where, you know, what did Penn State really gain from crushing UMass? I really don't know. Um, but uh, if, if anything, they did look impressive with the, the the shutout win over UMass. They got to avoid the trap game, is what they got out of that. Game. That's exactly it. Exactly. All right, here's a game that I kept an eye on uh, in the second half of Ohio State's game. Uh, Chip, Michigan State was putting it on Rutgers uh, to the tune of 24-6, to entering the fourth quarter, and then Sparty completely Spartied it up, and Sparty no uh, could be heard ringing throughout Piscataway as Rutgers came all the way back with three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win 27-24, and the Scarlet Knights, who came extremely close in this game to throwing away a chance to get bowl eligible this year, saved it. They're five and two. And if they can beat the Hoosiers, they're bowl eligible. 
And I think that's going to happen. That's just my opinion. I think Rutgers will defeat Indiana. Like you said, Michigan State, they <laughs> snatched defeat from the jaws of victory uh, to give up you know, 21 points in the fourth quarter to Rutgers. It's embarrassing. And unfortunately for Michigan State, uh, their plight is not going to improve considering they are hosting the Wolverines this weekend in their one of their rivalry games. But I think Michigan State, they pretty much have called it uh, for the 2023 season with everything, all the offseason turmoil turmoil that's embroiled around that program. I think it's just going to get uglier. Well, I want to put you on notice, but because if, if Michigan State somehow beats Michigan, you're going to have to call an ambulance and send them to check on me because I may not stop laughing ever. <laughs> Duly noted. I just I know it's I know it's a, a night game in at Michigan State, um, and everyone remembers the ugly incident that happened between these uh, between these two programs last year. I have every confidence that the Wolverines will come out um, and take care of business against Sparty. Yeah, the Spartans are, and we talked last week on the show about how the Spartans and Hoosiers were both winless and we weren't sure which was the worst team, but I'm pretty sure I know which one's the worst team now. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, Chip, the the team you said was good last week might not be good. Maryland losing at home 27-24 to the Fighting Illini and I don't know if this was a case of the Terrapins letting Ohio State beat them twice. Uh, if they just weren't up for this game, I watched parts of it. I couldn't make heads or tails about what Maryland was doing in this game. But this this is a bad loss for the Terps. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I think what you said at the onset of in recapping this game certainly is likely i think psychologically i think maryland had invested a lot into coming into ohio stadium and beating the buckeyes and that didn't materialize um the fact that um maryland had you know some turnovers and they lost on the the last play of the game on a field goal by illinois i mean let, let's give credit to illinois like they you know they've had a disappointing season um Maryland has to to rebound. I mean, that's just as simple as it is. Like they're five and two. I mean, we we joke about getting that six win. Um, they certainly this is the kind of game that they maybe they overlooked Illinois. And let's face it, they have to get back on the winning side of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, Maryland has been good at home uh, since they've had Talia Tongavailoa as their quarterback. He threw for two hundred sixty six yards and two touchdowns was not enough. As uh, as you mentioned, they give up the. 43-yard field goal at the end and lose 27-24 at home as uh, Illinois outscores Maryland 13-10 in the second half of that game to, uh, to win by a field goal. Illinois now on the board with their first uh, conference win of the season. And, I mean, I'm not counting them out of the West. They're only two games out. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm certainly not counting them out. Um, more than likely, I mean, we haven't talked about the other teams uh, in the Big Ten West uh, that played this this past weekend. Yep. Um, they, I said it a few moments ago. <laughs> you know, like the 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 certainty of the Big Ten West is the tremendous amount of uncertainty. Yeah, it is because we remarked last week about how the season was setting up very nicely for Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. 
to uh, to get to Indianapolis and and get to a Big Ten championship game. And Wisconsin could not beat Iowa at home. Lost fifteen to six. Lost their quarterback to a hand injury. Uh, Mordecai left this game, and um, yeah, Wisconsin couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, too much Iowa defense and just enough just enough scoring for the Hawkeyes to steal a win at Madison and put themselves in the driver's seat uh, to uh, I don't know field goal their way to the uh, Big Ten title game. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, considering, you know, Iowa, um, like they, they've got another, this coming week, they've got another big conference, excuse me, big division rival game, um, but they're at home against Minnesota. So Iowa right now, as we record this, is in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West. Uh, offensively, we all know about the Hawkeyes' persistent offensive challenges, um, but Wisconsin, you know, they have to try and regroup. Um, they have to go on the road to Illinois. And, you know, there's I think there's something to be said about, you know, taking on uh, Brett Bielema uh, at home um, might might be a little more challenging. In the wind tunnel. Exactly. And, you know, I don't know what Mordecai's prognosis is, but it's never good when you lose your starting quarterback. It isn't. And I wasn't really impressed with him from what I saw in the spring game and for him to go down. Um, and I, I've talked about it before, you know, like the transition to a more passing style offense, maybe Luke fickle will kind of regroup internally and say, Hey, we need to be more run oriented. I don't know if that will help against Illinois on the road, but that might not be a bad strategy. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, um, it, right now, like I said, it's, uh, it's all to play for with, with Iowa going in, into Wisconsin and getting that win They're in the driver's seat. But I mean, you're only, you only need to score two touchdowns in a game against Iowa to have a very good chance to beat them. So you know, maybe it could be a special teams touchdown or a defensive touchdown, uh, but I was offensively challenged. So I, I wouldn't say that they're a lock. I, I, I do think that Minnesota has not been very good this year, so I do expect Iowa to be able to handle Minnesota at home, uh, but we'll see. But the thing is, too, now if if Brett Bielema can get his team a win over Wisconsin, you're talking about them actually climbing back in that race. Yeah, it's like I said, the the home stretch. You know, we're halfway through. Nothing, nothing is impossible when it comes to the Big Ten West. Somebody emerging, indeed. All right. Anything else uh, from the weekend you want to talk about in terms of school? No, no. I think uh, I think we covered it well. Okay. Well, Chip, the Penn State Nittany Lions are coming to Columbus this Saturday. And that here's I, I mentioned earlier uh, in previous podcasts that Ohio State has a series of challenges. You know, the the end of September, the the big game on the road at. South Bend against Notre Dame was the first of those. Here's the second big one. Um, you know, Maryland, yes, you know, kind of like, you know, was it was a challenge, but was never really, you know, I in my estimation, the same kind of challenge that I think every Ohio State fan has looked at Penn State as being. So this is gonna is gonna say a lot about Ohio State, not only within the Big Ten, but also on the national scale. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a 
pretty massive challenge for Ohio State, especially if they have to play without Denzel Burke. Uh, but it's a noon game, and it's a big noon Saturday, and we are going to see game day as well in Columbus. That's impressive. I think they, they it's a recognition of just the as I said a moment ago, the just the the scope of what this game potentially how it it, it kind of can almost serve as like an elimination process within the Big Ten East. Yeah, so let's uh, let's hope it's Penn State getting eliminated. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I said at the beginning of the year that I I look at Penn State as definitely you know being a spoiler um, when they when they host Michigan next month. Um, but yeah, let's let's hope that Ohio State uh, does does their part and eliminates Penn State you know in the head to head matchup. This is kind of the the season prediction for you this is this is all or nothing for sure you because penn state is a team that you you have predicted they will beat michigan but lose to ohio yes. state and mm-hmm. therefore the finishing uh order in the big 10 east will be ohio state penn state michigan correct i and i nothing has changed i'm not even with all of ohio state's challenges uh that we have seen and been frustrated by Nothing has changed in my estimation that that is certainly how it, it is going to shake out. So I guess the, the thing that we'll find out on Saturday is the thing that nobody knows is that with the schedule played to date, is Penn State good? Is Ohio State good? We really don't know. We, we thought that we had a signature win on the road for Ohio State against Notre Dame, but they went out and... Uh, they managed to get by Duke, but they didn't get by Louisville, and Louisville subsequently lost. So we don't know how good Notre Dame is, and uh, therefore we don't really necessarily know how good Ohio State is, and we certainly don't know how good Penn State is. We know that they're statistically their defense looks extremely good, right? And I guess I'm still in the in the camp that I think Notre Dame is good. I think that they're making some foolish mistakes. The the Louisville game. Um, that was very questionable coaching decisions by Marcus Freeman, as he kind of also demonstrated against Ohio State. Um, but Notre Dame, I, I think they, not my surprise, I, they easily handled USC. Um, you know, so, you know, like USC was considered this this offensive juggernaut and Notre Dame took care of business against them. Getting back to Penn State, you're right. Um, they have won games that they're expected to uh, probably the let's face it, probably the biggest challenge that they had was in the season opener against West Virginia and West Virginia has kind of quietly emerged as not being that, you know, not that bad of a team, but I, I think Ohio state has been tested more than Penn state has. I watched the West Virginia Houston game. I'm not sure if you saw that game. No, I did not. So that was a game where Houston took the lead. West Virginia had the ball scored from just about midfield with 12 seconds left. And you thought, okay, well, West Virginia wins. And then that turned out to not happen because West Virginia took a penalty uh, for unsportsmanlike conduct on the ensuing kickoff. Houston got decent field position as a result. And there was a Harold Mary into the end zone that was tipped and caught for a touchdown by Houston on the last play. And so it was a, um, a walk-off 
Hail Mary win over West Virginia. Duly noted. And um, this weekend was an insanely entertaining weekend because it, it didn't just include that. It included the the 29, uh, 29 nothing comeback by Stanford against Colorado. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were all kinds of entertaining games. The, the Rutgers comeback. I mean, there, it was, this was one of those weekends where you, you just savor college football because just everything was so much fun. There was a lot of fun this weekend, but uh, if you getting back to this game, Michigan, Penn state and Ohio state chip are numbers one, two, and three in the nation in scoring defense. Right. I mean, the Ohio state defense, we talked about that bend, but don't break. Um, personally, I, I know, I know that Ryan day kind of bristles at that. I'm going to just say as an Ohio state fan, I'll take what I've seen so far from Ohio state defensively, even with, you know, some of the challenges um, that I'll take this over giving up big plays like we saw at the tail end of 2022. So I think, you know, like the Ohio state defense, Jim Knowles, I think is, is really getting a lot out of in year two, a lot out of his, his unit. And now we're going to see how they do against, let's just say, you know, one of the better teams in the country. Yep. Now Penn state is also ranked first in the country in total defense, allowing 193.7 yards per game. Ohio state is seventh in that category. Michigan is second. So again, big 10 defenses are really kind of dominating. And I think that they should based on the teams that these three teams have played so far. I would agree with that. Uh, Penn state also is third in national rush defense, 72 and a half yards per game. Uh, and, uh, Penn state number one in passing defense, 121 yards per game. Chip, do you expect Kyle McCord to be able to find some receivers against this Penn state, uh, passing defense? I do, but I, I am inclined to agree with, with our guest. I think it's going to be a lot more of a low scoring field uh, position type game um, than I, I, I'm not anticipating high scoring Mm -hmm. and that's just um, right now, you know, I keep looking at, you know, what the weather forecast is supposed to be. And I I know that, uh, you know, as we're recording this, you know, things can change dramatically uh, between now and Saturday. Um, But if, you know, if it's, if it's rainy, if it's wet, I mean that impacts the passing game. So I, I really do think it's going to be a it, it's going to be a, a kind of almost like a chess match between Ohio State and Penn State in terms of field position. Who do you think it favors if neither team can throw the ball? I'm going to go with Ohio State uh, simply for the fact that with Kyle McCord, I also agree that he. I mean he's still you know a work in progress and he's 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 developing. I would be more in, if if it turns into, um, you know, you have to you have to run the ball, um, just kind of you know take what you can in terms of the passing game. Yeah, the Ohio State running game has been hit or miss um, a lot this year, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Ohio State favor in the fact that if it is rainy, I would I would think. Penn State would be even more reluctant to put the game in the hands of Drew Aller to win it. Hmm. That's just my opinion. 
Yeah, I go back and forth on that. And that's the reason I asked you that is because I just think that, um, yes, Ohio State has Cade Stover, but I think Penn State is a, a more adept team at finding tight ends. And those are the kinds of things that can make a difference in a in a tight game. But we'll see. Uh, also, by the way, if you want to know where Penn State is in terms of scoring offense, that's number five in the country. So this this is going to be a pretty monumental task for Ohio State on Saturday. Absolutely. This is this. These are the type of games that if you're a top recruit, why you come and why you choose to come to Ohio State. Yeah. Why do you? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why wouldn't you? Exactly. All right. So uh, anyway, we we do know that uh, Penn State is going to be formidable. We've we've talked about Drew Aller. Um, This will be the best defense he's seen so far. I didn't think he was particularly great against Illinois, but he didn't really need to be because uh, Illinois' quarterback kept throwing the ball to the wrong team. And that's uh, usually a recipe for disaster, as it was in that particular game. So um, it really kind of... I think this is a game that in that environment, it's going to be tough for Drew Aller. And I expect Ohio State's defense to play well. But what we really haven't seen, Chip, so far is can Ohio State hold down an offense that can run the football? And that's, I think, where Penn State will try to control the game and run clock. I have no doubt. That to me would be kind of where I said earlier that I think um, instead of relying on Drew Allard, and that's that, that's not meant as a as a slam on Drew Allard. I just think that this is probably the biggest game he has played in since he arrived at Penn State. Um, the home field advantage that that we already know, you know, like the just the hype around it. I think Penn State. I think their game plan. It would make sense to me to try to lean on that running game, and like you just said this is going to be very important for the Ohio state defense to rise up and almost make Penn state one dimensional if they can. Yeah. Penn state's been riding a couple of sophomore running backs, Singleton and Allen um, to pick your poison there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Singleton has six touchdowns, Allen three, but Allen is averaging a um, little bit more, almost five yards of carry Singleton's over four. Uh, either guy there that concerns you. I'd say Singleton just because I've, I've seen highlights of him being able to go the distance mm. on, on certain occasions. And that, that's not meant that, Oh, you know, that, that Katron Allen is, isn't a good bag. I just know that Singleton was the, the type of guy that, you know, I, I know that Ohio state from a recruiting, you know, like I'm sure that they would have liked to have been more involved in his recruiting. Um, but he chose Penn state. Um, you know, and I think he just, he, I think he's the kind of guy that he could, he could go kind of almost Travion Henderson, like, you know, like a, a big play potential. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for turnovers to decide this game, Chip, Drew Aller has not thrown an interception this year. There's a first for everything and we shall see. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, when you combine that with the fact that Ohio state doesn't take the ball away a lot, that's, uh, that's not probably a way that you're going to get extra possessions. So. Exactly. Uh, it will be down to forcing punts. Then on the receiving end of things, uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, is he the guy that we got to focus on? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's the leading he's the leading receiver. I think he's going to be somebody that Ohio State, 
you know, is going to definitely have to to make sure that they account for him when Penn State has the ball. Yeah. Now, when you get to the red zone, they got to make sure Tyler Warren's covered. He's got five touchdowns uh, from the tight end position. Yeah. And like you said a few moments ago, Penn State is is pretty good at identifying their their tight ends in the passing game. Very much so. Always, uh, always when you play Iowa and Penn State, you got to watch the tight ends. Mm-hmm. You got right. it. All right, Chip. Uh, let's do it. It's time to make our predictions and our picks to click. Let's start with our picks to click. We started on the offensive end last time. So defensively, Chip, who is your pick to click? I'm going to take Tyleek Williams. I think he's, we, we talked about him earlier. I think he's really starting to slowly emerge as a force on the interior of the Ohio State defensive line. Uh, need a big game against Penn State to not only slow down the running game, but also make Drew Aller uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really in coin flip territory here because I feel like I feel like we're seeing in big spots this year, not consistently, not like every series, but I feel like when the game's on the line, we're seeing more of JT Tuimoloa this year. When it's uh, when it's crunch time, when it's uh, you got to get the ball back for your offense because you're trailing against Notre Dame on the road, he goes and does it. Uh, when you need a stop from a team getting back in the game, he's the guy that does it. So I'm kind of thinking this would be a great game for him to shine in. But on the other hand, how do we turn down the Tommy Eichenberg free space, considering he's probably going to give eight to 10 tackles uh, just being involved in the run, uh, in the run defense and the pass defense. Good point. So I'm taking Tommy. He's my pick to click on the defensive side of the football. And that brings, I think, probably this is going to be our most difficult selection of the year is the offensive picks to click against Penn stakes. We, we both think this is going to be a lower scoring affair. Matt thinks it's going to be a low scoring affair. So finding a pick to click is going to be difficult. I'm going to, I think take, I think I'm going to take the X factor here and go Xavier Johnson. And I think he's going to make some plays here and there. And again, this is going to have to probably be, graded a little bit on a curve, but I think he will make some plays here and there, both running and catching the football. And and who knows, maybe even throwing the football. Entirely possible. I like it. I'm going to go with Cade Stover. Um, Matt mentioned the concern that he would have. Um, we talked about the, again, the, the low scoring, the, the kind of a, like the slug fest that, that we're anticipating. I see Cade Stover as being a factor in this one. That's a good, uh, good selection. And who knows? Maybe it's somebody else entirely. Maybe it's G Scott. Very good point. All right. That brings us to our score predictions. The last thing we have on our agenda for this program, Chip. I've written mine down already, so I'm going to see how close you are to mine. What is your score prediction for Saturday? I like Ohio State 28, Penn State 24. Okay. Very close again. I had written mine down. Buckeyes 26, Penn State 17. Okay. I do think it'll be low scoring and um, probably would be better for Ohio State if it's not, but we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts on uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions coming in to Columbus on Saturday? No, I'm just hoping for a good game. Um, it, it certainly seems like it will be. I'm sure it will be a hotly contested matchup, and uh, we will see 
how things shake up. Any concerns on your end that uh, we see some big game Ryan Day conservatism? No. Um, my my concerns, quite frankly, are, are solely and exclusively on the injury side. Um, you know, we talked about Chip Traynum, um, Denzel Burke, you know, Mecca Buka. Let's hope everybody, Ohio State has a fully healthy and uh, ready to go team when the ball kicks off. Yeah. I was thinking of that, taking Dallin Hayden as my offensive pick to click, but I, without knowing what's going to happen with the, exactly with the depth chart at running back, there's no real sense in doing that. Uh, all right. Well, of course, we'll come back next week. We will check in on our score predictions, our picks to click. We'll run down what happened uh, when Penn State visited Ohio State. We'll take our walk through the Big Ten. And uh, Chip, who are we getting ready for next? We are getting ready for on the road at Wisconsin next week. Oh, man, you came very dangerously close to saying on Wisconsin there. Yeah, I know. I know. That's That's, come on, man. <laughs> you're better than that man you're better than that mm-hmm. uh you can't be giving the other teams uh you know battle cry there it's not allowed i get it all right well nothing left for us to do but come back next week and uh and give another top-notch uh performance here on this podcast chip where can people find you on the internet I can be found on Twitter at Chipminick. Last name is spelled M-I-N-N-I-C-H. Look for a article dropping on Land Grant Holy Land on Friday around 11 a.m. Eastern, as well as on Sunday morning. Time is is kind of an X factor there, but uh, usually kind of like a recap of the game. Uh, you know, my thoughts about what we saw from Ohio State. All right, I thought you were going to say time is a flat circle. But nope not what you said all right uh you can find me on twitter at mike 36 fan you can also follow this show on twitter at silver bullets pod don't do not use it the letter e in silver it's s-i-l-v-r bullets pod uh everything else is spelled correctly you can also email us at silver bullets pod at gmail.com that one you spell correctly s-i-l-v-e-r-b-u-l-l-e-t-s-p-o-d silverbulletspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can read my stuff at Land Grant Holy Land and my stories drop on Monday just before lunchtime this week. You will have seen my grumpy old Buckeye piece on uh, all the things that made me very angry when Ohio State beat Purdue just 41 to 7. Absolutely. (laughs) You can't can't let them be comfortable for a second you have to keep them on their toes you gotta always always plenty to complain about (laughs) (laughs) and that's why ohio state fans you know kind of are looked at you know with kind of a a curious perspective uh you know like only ohio state fans could find something to complain about you know a (laughs) 41-7 win well you know that's that's why i started this it's like nothing's ever good enough so let's exactly. just embrace that. Let's just embrace that nothing is ever good enough and and nitpick everything. And, and of course, it's very much tongue in cheek most of the time. Uh, but, you know, in, until somebody pl- uh, puts together the perfect game and gives me nothing to write about, then I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Exactly. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of the Silver Bullets podcast. By the way, Chip, the 150th episode of the Silver Bullets podcast. 
Yes, congratulations, and thank you for a job well done in in terms of getting it recorded and getting us guests. Truly appreciate all of your hard work on on this effort. Well, thank you, and I appreciate uh, Shannon Summers and everybody that was involved with this podcast before you and I were invited to be on it. Yeah, absolutely. They've all fallen by the wayside, and it's just us now. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, kind of from. Uh, you know, very uh, in terms of the differences in terms of what we what we did previously. Like you said, I wasn't always a part of it, but I, I'm certainly glad uh, to have been a part of it for so many so many episodes. Same. I kind of feel like though that they left us holding the bag, <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we're at. We uh, we're at 150, so we're celebrating our 150th episode. Thanks everybody who who have. Uh, who has listened during that uh, period of time. It's been over several years. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a milestone. We haven't really been tracking it. We're this, this show is very inconsistent in its infancy and now it's fairly consistent in terms of weekly during the season and monthly in the off season. So I think we have gotten at least the schedule part of it under control. Exactly. Very much so. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, the only thing left for us to do is make sure that we are in front of the television on Saturday or in the horseshoe to see Ohio State against Penn State and for Chip and I to do the thing that we always do at the end of the show, which is to say, go Bucks. Go Bucks.